Hey everyone, welcome to Christ is the Cure. We are going through a summer guest series, and today we are talking about biblical languages and a new program called Biblingo with its founder, Kevin Grasso. Uh, Kevin, before we start, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so um, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, Nick, it's, it's great to be here. Um, yeah, so my name is Kevin Grasso. I uh, currently live in Israel with my wife, Rachel, and we are expecting our first baby boy anytime now. Um, I'm doing my PhD in Hebrew language at Hebrew University, and I'm also doing um, an MA um, at Hebrew University as well in comparative religion. And previously, I did my MA at um, the Graduate Institute of Applied Linguistics, which is now Dallas International University um, in linguistics. And I'm just passionate about um, the biblical languages and getting resources to people that can't uh, or don't have any resources, can't learn them because of lack of resources, um, or their resources are, are just you know, not um, n really not designed to teach them the language. Um, so, yeah, those are kind of my passions. I'm really kind of at the interface between linguistics and exegesis. Mm -hmm. So from like a scholarly perspective, I spend all my days uh, just researching linguistics and figuring out how we can use that tool to better understand God's word. Ultimately, you know, to, to spread his kingdom in the world. So that's me in a, in a nutshell. That's awesome. So congratulations on the baby. And, uh, you're, so you actually live in Israel right now. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I'm in, I'm in Jerusalem. Very cool. Um, that, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so, you know, given your background, this should be an interesting discussion for sure. Um, so what, what would you think is the, the balanced way of looking at the biblical languages from a layman's uh, perspective who hasn't learned the languages? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting question. Um, well, I, I would say a couple of things. So one is, is that they, they're very important, right? The biblical languages. Um, if you take away our collective knowledge of the biblical languages, we have no translations, right? We, they are the backbone of, of, you know, every English translation. Um, and really our translations are only as good as our collective knowledge of the languages and culture of the Bible. So, so in that sense, everyone needs them. Um, but I, I would say that not everyone needs to learn them, right? Not everyone has the time. And, and I totally get that. Um, I do think what's, what's important as a layman is to, to think critically about language. So this is something that, you know, you'll hear all the time, uh, pastors or, or teachers or scholars make claims about the biblical languages, right? Mm -hmm. And the problem is that if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, it's very difficult to know what to do with those kinds of arguments, right? Um, if you're a layman, I mean, most of the time, you kind of just have to assume that they're correct. Um, but I, I, I would just encourage people to, yeah, if you're not going to learn the biblical languages, think critically about how language works. So an example 
is um, you know the word studies that are often done in in the biblical languages. Uh, so this is something you know I'm I'm doing my dis- dissertation on lexical semantics in biblical Hebrew, and what some of the issues is that are that like people um, will put way too much information in one word, and and then they'll transfer all that information into a particular context, mm. and you know, it might sound great in a sermon, um, but often it's just not true. <laughs> so, so I think you need to just be very careful about, um, yeah, how we understand language, and and have much more respect for the native speaker knowledge that's that's found in the Bible. You know, so um, the. We we really our our knowledge of the biblical languages is is capped. You know we don't um, we just don't have any native speakers, you know, of biblical Hebrew or biblical Greek, and so we need to have respect for the people that did speak those languages natively and assume coherence in the text and assume that um, you know when when something doesn't seem to make sense in a translation or something doesn't seem to make sense, even if you're reading the original, um, they're probably the ones that are right. <laughs> um, and we need to adjust. So those are just like a few, um, you know, kind of tips. The, the other thing I always tell people when they ask me about, um, you know, the, the biblical languages is I tell them, get multiple translations. So if you're a layman and you say, hey, like, I don't, I don't have time to learn Greek and Hebrew. Um, I would I would tell you, OK, that's fine. But you you do have access to multiple translations and you have multiple translations with different philosophies of translation. So I would say, you know, pick up your NIV, pick up your KJV, pick up your you know NLT um, and look at all three of them together, because that'll help you understand better um, what's behind the text, because they're all struggling to convey What's behind the text, um, but they're doing it in different ways. So it's helpful to look and compare multiple translations um, to be able to see what's what's going on in the original languages. Yeah. So you said a couple of things there that are particularly interesting to me. I think I think a lot of people can relate to the idea of well, you know, you're having a conversation and then all of a sudden someone throws some Greek text and you're like, oh, okay, I guess I just lost this discussion. <laughs> right. um, and then. Uh, the the other point about i guess importing multiple definitions and just making it where all these definitions apply in this context i i think i think mm-hmm. everyone can relate to that too um but the one thing i wanted to ask is about translations you mentioned comparing translations from the broader spectrum of philosophies um and i think that's pretty interesting would you expand a little bit more on that of why um, why you would compare i guess a formal equivalence with the dynamic in particular because i think the tendency at least for me whenever I'm looking at English translations is I tend to compare multiple formal translations. So that, that just kind of struck an interest in me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, so again, so my, my background, right. Is, is, you know, linguistics. I took a, a class at, um, you know, for my, for my MA in translation theory and, and the, the problem is right with looking at, one sort of like set of translations with the same philosophy is that you're gonna, um, you know, the formal versus dynamic equivalence 
kind of dichotomy is going to put you in a box um, in certain cases. So like if, if you're going for formal equivalence, there's going to be places where where you're going to mess up the translation because because there isn't one word in English that corresponds to the Hebrew word. Right. It's just it's just not the same. It's just not the same. So so the issue is that when you um, when you only look at those kinds of translations, you're you're essentially um, you're kind of cutting off, you know, what the um, the broader range of the the word in many ways. Um, I mean, I, I have literally dozens of examples that I could I, I can think of. But, um, you know, one, for example, is. Um, in Psalm seventeen fifteen says like you will or he will see my face or I will see his face in righteousness or something like that, um, and you know for for a formal equivalence that in righteousness is a very like very formal equivalent way to say it <laughs> right um, it's beitzedek um, in literally in righteousness, but um, a more dynamic equivalence there might just be justly like or you know it's just that i will see his face um and i think that in that case that captures the meaning much much better um and you're gonna you're gonna lose that if you only look at certain translations with with one philosophy um so yeah i i think there's you know lots lots more that could be said about that the other um, resource I normally point people to is the Net Bible mm. um, because they have translators' notes. So, so there you can see. Oh, okay, they, they translated it this way, um, but here's why they did it. Um, so, I think that's another really important resource, and it's free online. Um, you can see all the all the translators' notes. Um, so, you, again, that that helps you to kind of get back, um, you know, behind the text. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Um... Because instead of, uh, I guess the just directly bringing over the language uh, in the most literal sense, opposed to the thought that's actually being conveyed by the language, right? Is that a proper way to express it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and there's all kinds of of idioms too, you know, that um, a formal equivalence will often translate very literally, mm. um, but but the understanding of the the original people was not literal. You know, yeah. so, you know, to, to set your heart on something, I mean, that's just not this, it, that's not something that we normally say, right? But, but for a Hebrew person, you know, in 1000 BC, it's very simple. It just means pay attention, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and even something like pay attention, right? Like if you, if you translate pay attention to another language, you don't want to necessarily translate it as pay, as in like pay you know, something at the store, pay money, right? Plus attention. That's not necessarily going to be the correct translation into another language. Um, so you just like, sometimes it's, it's very helpful to have this formal equivalence. Um, but there are times where it's going to, it's going to lead you astray. Um, yeah, in some cases. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think that's pretty logical too, because whenever you think about, um, I know, phrases that we say, especially here in Texas, we say some weird stuff, you know, um, if you try to translate that, people will probably be confused for the most part if it was literal. Uh, right. 
Uh, so from it, oh, go ahead. So just just one more thing on this. So like, I, I, you know, the the pushback right is like we want to preserve the truth of God's word, and you know the the formal equivalence is is like the I, I understand the heart behind it is like we we don't want to mess with anything right in the right. text, um, and that's like very very good, but. But we have to realize that when we are translating, we're messing with it, right? Um, it's not it's not going to be perfect. And so what the, the question we have to ask is, is what was the original intended meaning? Um, and not necessarily like what individual word in English fits the most uses, right? We're, we're trying in, in a translation, like what we want is, is meaning. Um, and so a lot of times that will be formal equivalence, but sometimes it won't be. Yeah, I appreciate you adding that in there because that that is an important component that I might have accidentally overlooked. <laughs> um, I, so with that, we we talked a little bit then about the importance of languages and in, in practical, very practical means. So that's appreciated as well. Um, so in terms of, um, do you think if you could describe, I guess, the benefits of learning a language for an individual, um, say that someone wants to. Um, is on the fence that, you know, they kind of want to, they don't have the time or whatever. What, what benefits would you give them to motivate them or something of that nature? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, um, really to do serious exegesis and to, to engage in the serious exegetical problems that people are dealing with, um, you know, you, you just have to know the languages. <laughs> There's just really no getting around it. Um, you know, the, the, the reality is, you know, like we talked about earlier, um, there, there are people that say, oh, hey, well, this Greek word means X, you know, um, and then if you don't know any Greek at all, <laughs> you, can't, you can't argue, you, you can't engage with that. Um, and, you know, the, the people that are doing you know, exegesis um, at a scholarly level and who are doing like writing the theology textbooks that are trickling down to everyone else, you know, they've, that's, that's what they're doing. You know, they're, they've learned Greek and Hebrew. Um, and so it's necessary for, for exegesis and exegesis is necessary for theology. Um, so, you know, the, the, the obvious benefit is that you get to engage more actively in that, in that conversation. Um, I certainly would not say that if you don't know the biblical languages, you can't do theology. Um, but there are going to be conversations in exegesis and theology that you um, would not be able to engage in seriously if if you didn't know uh, the biblical languages. So, um, yeah, and I think, like, I, I actually, um, I love what, what Luther says, right, about, you know, how important the languages are, who, um, you know, as someone that just, he saw the, the great benefit. I mean, he said, you know, insofar as we love the gospel, to that extent, let us study the ancient tongues. Um, and I think that's just a, a really, it captures, you know, um, why, why we would do it. You know, we, because we love the gospel, because we love truth, you know, let's study um, Hebrew and Greek, in which you know God um, sovereignly ordained that His word would be, um, you know, spoken in. So that's yeah. what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with that, 
in, in your experience, or I guess, um, given, you know, what you're doing with the, the program, what, what do you think are the most common reasons, uh, individuals are either, um, intimidated or don't pick up the languages? Um, what, what kind of things do you hear and how would you address those, um, I don't want to say excuses. That seems kind of harsh. How would you address those concerns? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think one big concern is um, the, the biblical languages are kind of mystified um, Mm. and they're viewed not as normal languages. And there's, there's part of this. That's, that's a good thing, right? In, in the sense that like we have respect for um, you know, the, the the languages that God has chosen to write his word in. Um, and, and it really is the same for, you know, Muslims and, and Jews, actually, um, where, you know, Arabic, the, the language itself is considered holy um, and Hebrew as well, right? Um, what, what's interesting, actually, is that, you know, Muslims make a very, very... Um, you know, they, they put very high priority on learning Arabic and Jews put very, very high priority on learning Hebrew. And as Christians, we typically haven't done that with Hebrew or Greek, um, not on like a, a layman's level. Um, and but so part of it, I think, is this we need to demystify um, the languages there. There were languages just like other languages. Um, and we can learn them. Right. I mean, it's like very, very possible. Um, So that's just a very basic thing is that, you know, if if you know any language, you can learn Greek and Hebrew. (laughs) Um, So if you're listening to this, you know, a language, you know, English. um, And so you can, you know, you can learn another language. Um, One of the, you know, related to that, obviously, is people just think it's it's very, very difficult um, you know, Greek and Hebrew in particular are very, very difficult, um, which there are, there are certainly difficulties to, to them. Um, but there are plenty of languages in the world that are, that are much, much harder. (laughs) Um, and really Greek and Hebrew are, are, are not that bad. Um, but, but one of the biggest things I think are, um, is just the fact that today it's, the, the difficulty is compounded by the fact that we actually don't have um, that many resources to practice with. So, you know, you can go on Duolingo and you can learn, you know, a dozen different languages um, and you can just start, you know, today um, and learn all these different languages and you just have a ton of practice. And that's something for the biblical languages that we we haven't had Um you know, there's just no good way for a layman or, or anyone to just like start to practice learning the languages. Yeah, that actually that that I mean that kind of springboards into what you guys are doing with Biblingo. So if you want to just go ahead and talk about how or why you guys decided to pursue that, um, we can go ahead and go that direction. Yeah, yeah. So um the well I'll tell you the original reason why um, it was actually I I was uh, doing my MA in linguistics and um, I was looking for resources for for the biblical languages and and one of the one of the things about the translation world 
um, is almost almost every translation is done um, with with what's called a a, um, a, a translation that's in an LWC, a language of wider communication. Hmm. So if if you're in Mexico and you are um, translating into you know uh, um, an indigenous language, right? So I, I for example I worked on this project. Um, a Nahuatl project down there, and um, they're they're translating from Spanish into this old Aztec language, right? Yeah. And that's that's almost always the case, ninety nine percent of the time. And so what they'll do is they'll have you know three different Spanish translations, and they'll translate into Nahuatl. And and so I said, well, you know, if they knew the biblical languages. You know, this could be one faster, two more accurate, um, and and three they we could cut down on on the the process. So right now, what happens is is they um, they'll they'll translate from Spanish into Nahuatl, and then they'll translate that back into English. Um, so this is what happened when I was on I worked on this project for a little for um, a little bit. So they translated back into English. And then I would check that English against the Hebrew um, because I, I was the only one that knew Hebrew. <laughs> so so we're translating from a translation back to another translation. And I'm checking that against um, the original. And so I said, hey, why don't we cut out all the middlemen? You know, why don't we why don't we create resources for Bible translators um, that will allow them direct access to the biblical languages and the biblical world so that they can translate from the original and they don't need someone like me to come in and check their translation of a translation of a translation. Um, so that was really what prompted um, this whole thing was seeing this need in the Bible translation world and seeing um, the, the lack of resources for people like that. Um, and then you know, just seeing the process and and, um, and and then obviously as well the opportunity to to make it better. So um, that that was where it it really got birthed. Um, since then, you know, I I mean I have a huge heart for pastors, teachers, translators, scholars all over the world um, that you know wouldn't otherwise have the ability to learn these languages. Um, so, you know, if, if you're someone that, you know, you, you, you're in China, you know, what you're, um, what you're stuck with is whatever, you know, biblical Hebrew resources there are in Chinese. Um, and I know of one, um, or you learn English to learn biblical Hebrew with a grammar, <laughs> um, which is just very daunting. Yeah. So. What we wanted to do was try to bring um, the world of the Bible as much as possible, um, you know, to the people through pictures and videos and reconstructions, um, and then have teach the language through those pictures and videos, so that people, you know, all of the world wouldn't need to learn English, let's say, um, in order to. To gain access to the biblical languages, um, so and, and so right now, what what we're doing is is just that you know we're um, we've collected 
about uh, 1300 videos so far, um, you know, hundreds of pictures. Uh, and we are trying to teach the languages as much as possible through the through the culture, right? And to, to try to mimic um, what, you know, a five-year-old boy would have would have done to to learn the language in 1000 BC, right? He would have seen the world, um, the biblical world. He would have heard the sounds, the biblical, you know, the biblical language, and he would have associated the two. Um, so that that's that's really what we're trying to do. Um, right now, we have we have you know our interface in in English, but we're we're hoping in the next um, you know year year or so um, to to get this into the interface into all kinds of other languages, so that like I said, we, we can just make this, make it more accessible for people all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. You, you said a lot of really interesting things. One of the, one of the most curious points that I just had to ask whenever you're comparing the translation from English to Hebrew, how was it? <laughs> so, so it's, it, there are so many people just don't understand how many problems <laughs> there are. Um, I can imagine. It, yeah. I mean, so, so, so there's there's all kinds of different problems, right? So, um, one one big problem I, I faced right away um, was this language um, Nahuatl didn't have a word for king huh. because they're you know they just that wasn't how their system was set up their cultural system. Um, so I, I I was looking at this translation and every time I saw the word king I was like. Like, why, why are you translating it this way? And, you know, I, I asked the, the, the translator and he said, oh, well, well, they don't have a word for king. And I said, oh, well, I, I don't know how to solve this problem. <laughs> you know, you're <laughs> immediately um, faced with difficulties like that, that you're like, you know, I, I've, you know, this is, your guess is as good as mine. Um, but so, so, so there are problems like that, right, where, um, the, the, the target language is just lacking words um, or they're, they're lacking certain things of the culture that, that just make it very hard to translate. Um, and then there are other things where, you know, obviously when you're dealing with, um, you know, again, they were, they were going from Spanish to Nahuatl back into English so that I could read the English. There's, you know, we would have to talk through every single verse, right, very carefully in English um, because I wasn't really sure, right, what their, what their translation was. So we would have all these conversations, you know, some people would be, they would be talking as a group in Spanish, and then one guy would be talking um, to me in English, and they would be talking about the Nahuatl. Um, so it was just like, you know, an all-day affair every day of, um, you know, we would get through 15 verses or so of this checking. Um, but, but I will say, you know, with with a team of five or six people, you can do it. I mean, you really can. Um, but it's it's definitely not. Um, it could be more efficient, I should say. Yeah, it sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it is it is in in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. That being said, I mean, it's 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 great that it's being done. And it you know, and like yeah, and. It's um it's currently how the system is set up, and the, the the reason why is because again those people they don't have access to to resources in the biblical languages. Yeah, you know how 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 are they going to learn? Like if they're they're yeah they know Spanish 
right? But um, it's a pretty daunting task to learn Hebrew and Greek if you, um, you know, if you don't have the resources to do it. Um, you know, it's a daunting task for English speakers. So that's 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 the thing is that you know it's it's it is crazy, but it's 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 also um, something right now that it's very it's a very difficult thing to come up with a better solution. Yeah. So I um, I wanted to also ask because I've seen some of the, the videos and just out of curiosity for me and the listeners, are the videos shot over there in Israel or do y'all how do y'all do that? Yeah, yeah, they are shot over here. Um, so you know, we we've shot in different places in Israel. Um, we've got a guy who um, you know just a professional videographer who's who's really 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 talented, um, and we'll basically go to you know, old ruins, um, just different places. And then, um, you know, we have all of our costumes <laughs> and we go out and we, we film. Um, so we basically, you know, all these sentences have been written in Hebrew and Greek. Um, and then we'll just, um, you know, film the actions, uh, to try to replicate what, what they would have been doing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's the idea. Very cool. So with, with all this said, you're talking about um, a way of cutting out the middleman, making it more accessible for people to learn uh, the languages, be, um, um, you, you didn't use the term, but I guess I'll use it more, more immersed and more engaged with what was happening in, um, in, the, in the languages. And so with all that, if you were to tell us about the program, I guess at its roots and talk about what you can expect and what you'll see and things like that, what, what would you um, share yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I think we have used the immersion term quite a bit in our in our taglines and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so basically, the you know the big picture idea is to you know immerse you in the biblical um, languages and culture. So that means you know you're going to have as much original language content as um, you know, as possible. And then you're going to pair that with, um, you know, the, the original cultural context as much as possible. Um, so, you know, like I said earlier, we're, we're trying to replicate, um, how a child would have learned Greek and Hebrew, um, you know, when, when they were spoken as native languages. Um, so part of that is just providing the user with with practice. Um, so again, this is something um, I alluded to earlier, but but they're just as far as resources right now, there aren't resources that just allow you to practice. Um, and you know, Duolingo, you can do that. You, I, I can, um, you know, I just started learning Arabic on Duolingo the other day, and so I, I can just you know go on Duolingo. And anytime I want to practice Arabic for five minutes, I can do that. <laughs> I mean, it's very, very easy. Um, there's nothing like that right now um, for the biblical languages, other than what what we're doing, um, other than Biblingo. So we're we're trying to just create um, this environment where the user can say, "Hey, I want to practice," um, you know, using the language. Um, you know, you can do that in Rosetta Stone and Duolingo, and that's kind of been our inspiration. So. At the same time, we, we teach grammar, right? I mean, we, we do. We have a little grammar 
explanation video at the beginning of each lesson um, that honestly you could just skip if you didn't want to learn the grammar. I mean, it would be totally fine. Um, you know, you don't have to learn grammar to learn a language. But um, but but the the core of it is just this this practice of um, you know using the language in its appropriate cultural context. So right now we have um, you know the first 26 lessons of um, content created. So we have you know this is 26 lessons for Hebrew and 26 for Greek. Um, for each language we have 785 sentences, practice sentences that you can you know continually re revisit, and all of those have videos that are um, you know supposed to be culturally accurate representations of of what's of the, the biblical world. And then in addition, we have a flashcard module so you can, you know, practice all the, the words you learned in the in the lessons. Um, you know, we have what's called like a space repetition algorithm built in. So it'll tell you, you know, um, based on your answers, what you need to what words you need to learn and when. Um, so that's what we have right now. So um, it should provide someone with you know, about a semester to a semester and a half worth of of the grammar, um, but really a lot more practice using the language than you would see in a normal semester or semester and a half. Um, and then in the summer or fall, we're um, going to roll out an additional 26 lessons, and that'll take you through all of the grammar you would need to read the text in the original language. Um, and then plus we'll have a fully tagged biblical text with um, a personalized graded reader. So basically what we're doing is, you know, with this biblical text is we're, we're um, it's, yeah, it's fully tagged. And then we'll um, link each word with a gloss and um, a picture. And we'll keep adding more and more pictures. I mean, we're, we're hoping to eventually do the every word in, in the Greek and Hebrew Bible. And then basically what you can do is you can say, hey, um, you know, I, I want a, a chapter where I know 90% of the words. And because we're keeping track of every single word you know, we can give you that text, right? Yeah. We can say, hey, here are all the chapters. Um, these are how, much, how many words you know or the percentage of words you know per chapter. Um, and so you can just begin to work through the Bible um, you know, as a graded reader and until you finish it and you know all the words. Um, you know, so as you're going through the text, you know, let's say you know 90%, you can say, hey, um, you can click on a word um, and say, I don't know this word. You can add it to a flashcard deck and that'll be then counted as a word that you know and you as you continually practice. Um, so, you know, the, the, the basic idea is to take people from nothing um you know to being able to read everything in the greek and hebrew bible with with fluency so that's the the big picture yeah absolutely um i thought i think the tagging and the you know wanting to be able to have you know where it's based off of what you know is a really cool concept because i mean learning greek and you pick up your new testament and you're like well I can read, you know, blocks here and there, and it's just kind of, it's kind of discouraging. So it's cool that you guys are going to be able to pull um, what people do know. One of the, mm -hmm. one of the things I would ask you if, if people are interested in Biblingo, 
Um, is there a demo program they can check out? Um, and how, um, how would that work or how, how does that look like? What does it look like? Yeah. Yeah. So we have a freemium. So basically it's, um, you know, you'll, you'll have access to the first three lessons, um, including an initial like lesson zero for the alphabet, if you don't know the alphabet. And so you'll be able to, um, yeah, just work through the first three lessons. You'll be able to see, you know, what it's like, um, and then you can, you know, if you want to to upgrade to the the paid thing, you can get the full twenty six lessons. Um, you know, right now we have a subscription model, so you can, you know, buy a one month subscription just to see, you know, how it, how it goes, um, or you can buy six month, twelve month, um, twenty four month, um, you know, as as long as you want. So you know the the hope would be. You know, obviously, I, I, I said we're, we're rolling out more and more content. Um, you know, the hope would be that it would be worth it for people, you know, to to be in it for the long for the long haul. Um, one of the other things that we're doing is is we'll be adding in more texts outside of outside of the, the New Testament and the Old Testament. Oh. Um, so basically, we, we want to be able to tell users, you know, um, the sky is the limit, right? Um, if the more text we add, the more opportunity for practice you'll have. So um, I would just say, yeah, you can try it out um, for free. You know, first three lessons. Um, if you keep liking it, you know, you can go on until um, at least until I die, and I don't know about it after that. So, <laughs> so if you. You're going to be a little bit biased, but if you had to pick a language to learn first for for the layman between Hebrew and Greek, which one would you pick? <laughs> Why you say I'd be biased? <laughs> because you're kind of a Hebrew guy, from what I can from what I can tell. So, so you know, I I really I really try to to straddle the fence. Um, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I mean, I I yeah, I'm getting getting my PhD in Hebrew, um, but but I I've ri- I've worked on and written on both. Um, but I, I do think if you, as far as like, um, if you are looking for the like lowest barrier to entry, I would probably say you should do Greek. Mm. Um, there are probably easier Greek texts in the New Testament than there are Hebrew texts in the Old Testament. Um, so, and, and in addition, I mean, both languages have their, their difficulties, um, but, you know, it's not, it's not right to left like Hebrew is. Um, the alphabet's more similar. Um, there, there's a lot more cognate words in, in Greek. Um, so, yeah, I would say if, if you want to learn both, and you want to do the easier one first, um, I would say the Greek in the New Testament is probably easier than the Hebrew in the Old Testament. And I would probably suggest you do that first. Um, but that being said, I, I, you can do both at the same time. And I, that's actually it's actually not crazy um, to do something like that if, if, you, if you know how to do it. Um, so, you know, consistent... You know, 20 minutes of practice every day in each language is pretty doable. Um, and that's the thing that I'll, 
that'll help you succeed. So just consistent practice. So yeah, I've I've heard it said that it's it's all about the daily uh, practice opposed to let's just do a whole chunk this day and a whole chunk this day kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I when when I talk to people about learning a language, I I think it's really tough for for a lot of people because they've never become fluent in another language. Yeah. Right. So so they don't really know how it works. And what I tell people is it's it's like it's like playing an instrument, you know, like you, you can't just practice in for three hours one day, you know, I'm, I'm learning the violin, right? I'm, I'm not any good, but, um, and this is, this is how I actually practice the violin because I don't have any time. Um, you know, like every couple months I'll pick it up and I'll play for a few hours, you know, or, you know, an hour. Um, and I'm not any good because I, because I, I don't practice consistently. And, and it's the same way with with languages. You, um, if you want to get good at it, you just you just play every day. You know, you play a little bit, um, and then eventually, you know, you, you'll get there. Um, so that's that's how I think we should think about it. Absolutely, I can attest to that too. I, I tried picking up violin for a little bit. Needless to say, uh, I learned about two songs, and that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough instrument. <laughs> it, it really is. It's one of those lifetime ones for sure. Yeah. Um, so if someone was say, okay, I, I picked Greek and I had to pick between buying a grammar or your program, do you think it has to be either or should it be both? I guess, how would you address that question? If, cause there, there are a lot of grammars and it seems like they keep coming out with more. Um, so, <laughs> no. so I guess, how would you navigate those waters? Cause I know there is kind of a big debate underlining that as far as I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll say something about the debate really quick. There's so, you know, the um, the biblical languages have been taught in a certain way for a long time. Um, and, you know, it's called the grammar translation model. And there are people that, you know, are kind of like die hard grammar translation model types of people. Um, I, I would just say and, and so on the, on the other side of the spectrum, there are people that are very much like what, you know, what's called like the communicative model or um, there's all kinds of different names for it, but um, where they don't want to, some people don't want to teach any trend or any grammar, right? They don't, they don't want you to know what nominative case is in Greek, right? Or the construct in, in Hebrew. Um, they just want, they just say, Hey, you know, if you use it, you'll, um, and you, you see how it's used in the correct way, you'll begin to, to just internalize it. Um, so, so I think there's, there's something very true about that, right? Is that, you know, um, if I, if I started asking people on the street, you know, tell me the past participle of, um, eat, you know, (laughs) they, they probably wouldn't know, um, because they don't really know what a past participle is. Right. Um, and, and that's okay. Right. They're, they're, they're going to use it in the right context. They, they don't need to know the grammar to know the language. Um, that being said, as a, as a second language learner, it's very helpful to be taught explicitly what, what the grammar is and what the rule is, right? So you don't have to guess, um, you know, what, what's going on here, right? In, in English, our intuitions are so good that um, we just, we don't even, we just know when something sounds funny. Um, and we have this internal grammar that we, you know, that helps us in those situations. 
Um, but it's it's good when you're learning a second language to make the grammar um, explicit. So I, I would say, you know, they're absolutely not mutually exclusive. Um, in fact, you know, one of the things that I'm working on right now, um, so I, I created all of these grammar explanation videos for each of the lessons, um, you know, to give people an overview of, of the grammar. And one of the things I'm doing is, is um, you know, tagging basically every topic I go through with, with the standard textbooks. Um, because I want people, you know, to, to be able to, you know, use their whatever textbook they want and go through it and see it on, on, in paper, you know, um, or in the book and to, to dig into the grammar a little bit more. I mean, this is, this is what I do. I study linguistics. Um, so they're definitely not mutually exclusive. However, I will, I will say, um, they, there, there's different goals, right? With the grammar, um, you're learning about the language. You can learn a lot about a language without knowing the language. And, and so, you know, going back to the instrument analogy, you know, if you want to learn the, to play the violin, would you pick up a book on music theory or pick up the instrument, right? So, so the music theory is the grammar textbook. Biblingo is the instrument. So you can certainly, you know, pick up a grammar textbook. Um, it's going to help you, right? It's going to tell you um, how, you know, long to play the notes, I don't know anything about music theory, so I don't really know what it'll tell you, um, but it'll help you. I'm sure it will. But at the end of the day, it's not going to make you a violinist. You know, for that, you need practice. Um, and so you you have to find a way to just practice. Um, and that's that's what we've designed Biblingo to be, um, a way for you to practice as much as you want. Um, and, you know, we've we built in the music theory as well, right? Um, but I would say that you you have to have some sort of way to practice the language if you want to be if you want to learn it seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think your analogy makes perfect sense, and it's making me question how I learn music now. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so th that makes a lot of sense. So w with the, the the spectrums, I guess, because I mean, Biblingo aims for kind of a middle ground, from what I can kind of put together. Um, mm -hmm. With those spectrums, would you say that the more communicative, or I've heard it, living language is living language another way of yeah. expressing it? Yeah. yeah, the living language approach versus the more grammatical approach. Uh, would one be more for exegesis and one more for reading, or does it not particularly matter in your experience? Or yeah, that's a great question. So I will say, um, as someone who L let me say this. I've never met a single person who has learned to speak Hebrew and Greek, like ancient Hebrew and Greek, who has regretted it, right? Mm -hmm. Never, never met a single person. I've met a lot of people that haven't done it and that say, oh, it's, you know, you don't need to learn to do that. You know, you just, you just need, like, you just need to, to learn to read for exegesis, right? Um, but I've, I've, literally never met a single person that has said like, oh man, I really just wish I, I wouldn't have wasted that time learning to actively use the languages. Um, and, and, and I'm one of those people, right. That learned originally just the grammar translation method. Um, and now being able to actively produce the languages, um, it's a totally different ballgame. Like I, I can just tell you like, um, the way 
I read the text is is completely different. Like the amount of text I can consume um, is is just like I would never have been able to do it if I hadn't learned to use the languages actively. So I, I would say that if um, if your goal is exegesis or reading, um, you you should make this a priority. If if you know the idea behind um, you know just learning the grammar for exegesis is um, I think it's like fundamentally flawed in the sense that like you're the the whole um, like what we're trying to do in exegesis is figure out the meaning of the text and the the best way to do that right is reading in the original language with comprehension and it's to in order to do that you have to start building intuitions about the original languages and that involves using the languages um so you know i i now when i read hebrew you know like hebrew or greek um you know in the bible like i i have intuitions about oh like why did they say it this way hmm. um you know why didn't they say it this other way which i know you can say right um and there's there's contrast right i i can see oh they they did something weird here um because i because i know um you know you could do it this other way those are the kinds of intuitions that are are very very difficult to build if you don't um if you don't have some active component um and and again i i would just say like you know where you you don't have to choose <laughs> you know like um this shouldn't be something that that we we choose and i certainly you know like i said I live in in linguistics and the grammar and the nuances, um, you know, and I'm constantly reading theory books on, um, you know, semantics and syntax, particularly. Um, but but I I know at the end of the day I have to get in the practice of of just using the language, um, and that's going to start with my intuitions. Yeah, that's good. So, so in some sense, your answer is, well, why not both? Right. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I, I would say if you're going to be a serious exegete, do both put in the time, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It'll just make things smoother. And yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so by the end, uh, whenever y'all, y'all finish up the adding the rest of the lessons, you said 52 total or 50. Yeah. 52. Okay. Pretty For strange. some reason I wanted to say 56. I don't know why. Um, so 52 lessons and it's equivalent to two semesters of each language? Yeah, you know, people have asked us this question. <laughs> I, 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 I think the better way to to look at it is that you'll have all the necessary grammar to read the text and you'll, you sh you'll be forced to actively produce, you know, over a thousand words. So I think it's about two semesters worth of, of language. Um, but that being said, you know, again, because the approach is different, um, you know, I, I would hope that at the end of at the end of fifty two lessons, you know, you're you're producing the language a lot better than if you had taken two semesters in a normal seminary class, <laughs> right? So yeah. so it's very it's honestly very hard to compare semesters um, in that sense, but but I think as far as like the grammar, um, it's it's about that much. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense too. Cause, cause I mean, if you're measuring 
a semester based off of effectiveness versus time, then you can have different outcomes essentially. So right. for reference for, for listeners that essentially in terms of time, it would be equivalent to, uh, basically the minimum master's requirements now for pastors, I believe, right? It's about two semesters of each language. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's pretty significant. Um, I think, and then if you were talking about effectiveness of actively, uh, producing and learning, then that was a whole different dynamic to it. Yeah. And then of course, you know, then you have the, the biblical text that's tagged, you know, with the graded reader. So then, you know, you can always do go as back as you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically you have a continuous resource where, um, you can always keep going back and keep refining, keep, you know, solidifying it essentially. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and that's one of the issues right now is, you know, and you, you mentioned this earlier, the amount, like we really don't need any more introductory <laughs> grammar textbooks, despite the fact that the publishers think we do. Um, and we keep coming out with more, um, like what we really need is this intermediate, um, you know, language learning material. Um, so that's, that's what we've tried to do with this. Um, yeah, the, the Bible reading module is just to, to allow, um, students to get in, into the text and to do it in a way that's accessible, um, and in a way that they can progress so they can continue to, to build their vocab. Um, and they can, they can read things that are, that are always on their level. Absolutely. Well, um, at this point, I guess I'll just ask, um, do you have any closing statements before we wrap this up or any thoughts? Yeah. So, so I would just like to encourage, um, you know, whoever's out there, just, um, one that learning the languages is, is a worthwhile investment. Um, I mean, just coming from someone that, um, you know, has, has put in a lot of time, um, it, I think it, it really is, is a worthwhile investment, um, that again, um, you know, you, you won't regret if you put in the time. Um, and the last thing just that, um, you know, I just, honestly, the reason why we're doing Biblingo, um, is, is hopefully to spread God's word, you know, throughout the world. Um, you know, we, we want to advance knowledge of, of his word, you know, through Greek and Hebrew, um, so that ultimately people love God more. Um, so just to say like, that's our heart, you know, that's why we're doing everything we're doing. And, you know, that also means, you know, we are totally open to, um, you know, constructive criticism, any kinds of ways that we can improve and make things better. You know, our, our goal at the end of the day is to, to get resources into people's hands throughout the world so that ultimately we can all know God and, and love him more. So. Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. I'm sure everyone else does too. And yeah, uh, I'm in the beta group for Biblingo and I can just say that you guys have been handling uh, all the, all the stress really well. It, it's always, I can only imagine uh, how that's all going, but it's been great and you guys have done fantastic work. Well, I really appreciate it. So again, uh, we'll, um, this was on biblical languages and go check out Biblingo. It's biblingo.org, not .com. Correct. Yeah. And if you go to my website, it's on the resource tab. It's at the bottom of the homepage too, as well, if you want to get to it from that route. So again, thank you for coming on and taking your time. Thank you. Really appreciate it. So that was Kevin Grosso talking a little bit about biblical languages, but also segueing into Biblingo, which is a program that, um, it is really exciting. It is fun. 
It is a little bit challenging, uh, but it feels like you're accomplishing and you're working with the languages and it kind of jumps you right into it. But yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, go download the demo and uh, see how you like it. Really, the production quality too. I asked about the videos because I was watching the videos and I was impressed. with like, These are great video clips and everything. You hear the audio. They recorded it in several different pronunciations and everything else. It's fantastically done. And I hope to have a couple of videos out um, in the next couple of weeks and also in the next few months. I hope to do kind of like um, semi-regular uh, reviews as I work through the program too. And one of the things that I hope to kind of document is that since I do know Greek, I can kind of attest to how it's helped my Greek. And then I don't know any Hebrew, so we'll see how it helps Hebrew. So we can kind of get the aspect of, I don't have any knowledge, and then I do have some. So um, we can see how the program interacts with both of those concepts. At any rate, hope you enjoyed this conversation. I thought it was fun. And we'll continue our summer guest series in the next couple of weeks. God bless you all, and have a wonderful, wonderful day.